Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Twice every weekday on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, we're about a month away from a very significant conference that's being held in Australia by CMA. That stands for Christian Ministry Advancement. Now, this year, among the host of great speakers is a renowned exponent of this topic of generosity. In fact, he's known as the Generosity Monk. Gary Hogue is the generosity monk who sees his purpose as serving the church by providing spiritual and strategic guidance to help people understand and practice biblical generosity. The CMA conference, it's coming up the 5th and the 6th of June at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre, but our privilege today to be able to get a little preview of insight into the sorts of things that Gary Hogue will share. And Gary is on the line with us. Hello, Gary. Welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with you today. And greetings to my friends and and others in Australia whom I've not met. Gary, we're talking to you from Colorado. Describe your hometown. Well, um, Colorado is beautiful. We, we live right up next to the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So it is is very dry here, and we're still getting out of winter. So we've had we had some snow even last week, but we're getting into spring. The flowers are starting to bloom. It's a beautiful place to live, God's country, we call it. Gary, I've introduced you as the generosity monk. Uh, some listeners will be saying, "What does all that mean? Do you wear a robe? Do you live in a monastery? What is the idea of the generosity monk?" Sure. Well, let me tell the answer to that with a fun story. So I was in a work transition. I was vice president of Denver Seminary some nine years ago. And as many of the listeners maybe have done during a time of transition, maybe when um, your work situation was unsure, I was the vice president and my president left and I prayed for months. What does this mean for me? And I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to go from serving one ministry to many. And so I took a quiet day. And on that quiet day, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And and quite humbling, I really felt like the Lord said, Gary, I don't need you to do anything. I have the whole universe sorted. So at that moment, I, I, I just waited on the Lord and said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to be? And just like Sarah laughed when God said, I want you to be a mommy. I felt like God said, I want you to be the generosity monk. And the monk part is, I want you to dedicate your life in a day and age when few people are committed to anything. I want you to dedicate your life to encouraging Christian generosity. And so the, the moniker stuck to my daily office for almost nine years. Every day I post a daily meditation on what one of the saints through the centuries said on generosity. And it's just been my privilege to serve denominations, organizations to help provide that spiritual and strategic guidance for encouraging Christian generosity. A lot of us spread ourselves very thin and uh, we have an iron in lots of fires. Uh, We're doing all sorts of things trying to make a difference. How has it been for you? And we'll get into the generosity part in just a few moments, but if you're going to dedicate yourself to one stream, to one more minute focus, 
is that a is that a good uh, uh, you know is that a good recipe for success? Well, here's what's interesting: by drilling down and becoming uh, kind of God's man, if you will, for on this topic of generosity, um, it led me to complete my PhD in New Testament on wealth and riches in in um, in First Timothy. It led me to a deep study through church history. And what's ironic is as a result, I've had the privilege then of doing work in like multiple areas, such as I teach on the handling of money at six seminaries in three countries. I write books and, and, um, and provide counsel both for denominations as well as organizations. So it's actually by, 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 becoming, uh, say, learned in an area and dedicating my time and energy to growing and disciplining myself to growing my knowledge and understanding, it's actually given me many venues in which I could use that knowledge and, and skills. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I know that listeners will be wanting to hear you talk some more about the idea of wealth and riches and whether there is a connection between having wealth and riches and generosity, or whether these are on different planes altogether. What are your thoughts on wealth and riches? Sure. Wealth and riches are gifts from God to be enjoyed and shared. In other words, to state it plainly, um, going back to the Old Testament and Abraham, God's design for his chosen people would be that they are blessed to be a blessing. In other words, that they would be these conduits. And so as God supplies, following, say, then the instructions of Jesus in the New Testament doesn't leave us destitute, but actually teaches us to distribute. And so faithfulness often leads to fruitfulness. Diligence often leads to wealth and riches being in our house. And we do that not so we can become fat and happy, self-indulgent, but so that we can become these joyful distributors distributors of, of his uh, material as well as spiritual blessings. So fat and wealthy, self-indulgent, uh, that's one of the downsides to your attitude to wealth and riches. Uh, of course, uh, uh, what would the upsides be, that, uh, that you are a, a generous person, that you are sharing that wealth? Uh, tell us about upsides and downsides and what can go right and what can go wrong when we're dealing with our wealth and riches. Sure. Well, I would say on the, on the upside, the, the love of money and the desire for things can trick us at any point in our lives. Uh, or in other words, or this would be like, as you would call it, a downside. In other words, at, at different times in our lives, money and wealth whispers to us, you need me, you need me. And so we start to think the worldly belief that, that money is what I need to solve my problems. And, and, and alternatively, the, on the upside, when we faithfully put it to work, we see fruitfulness and good things happen around us. It's actually when we listen to the world's messages, when we get ourselves into trouble, and the way to stay, let's just say, on the road and not go in the ditch is by putting what the Word teaches into our mind. Gary, some of us will be saying, well, if I had wealth and riches, I could be generous. But I don't have wealth and riches, 
how do you talk about the context we might find ourselves in uh, and where we might be and perhaps even comparisons here to to just how wealthy we might be in a Western nation like Australia and you're in the United States. Uh, what are your thoughts sure. on, on wealth and riches, getting those things in context? Sure. So to get in context, one of the places I direct people is to a global website called www.globalrichlist.com. And if you go to that website, here's what you find. You find how your salary compares to the other 7 billion people in the world. Now, in America, if you type in a $25,000 U.S. salary, which is not a very high salary, you find that as compared to over 7 billion people in the world, your salary ranks in the, in the top 2% of salaries in the world. And so I would say that in more um, uh, developed countries like Australia or America, our earning power is high compared to most countries. Now, our cost of living is also higher. So what that does is it creates margin. If we're willing to live simply, we have probably greater bandwidth materially to be generous. When I'm trying to make ends meet, trying to have enough left over at the end of the week, uh, the temptation there is to make sure that I've got a little extra for myself and not necessarily to be generous. How do you sort of uh, grade the way that people actually respond to this idea of generosity? Well, the way I would describe it is how we handle money is the greatest defining feature that we belong to Christ. In other words, how... I handle money and the priorities I make is the greatest message I have to a watching world that I'm different. And it's a way I can show that God's love and grace is for everyone by being willing to uh, sacrifice or say no to things that everyone else says I need and just have to have. And by being willing to maybe not necessarily have all those things I want, but say no to some things so I can say yes to other things, it can be one of my greatest testimonies. So, Gary, when we talk about a transformed life as a Christian believer, and you say uh, one of the, or the, you said it's the greatest defining feature as that we belong to Christ, uh, is this defining feature something that ought to be one of the early things or one of the biggest uh, notable transformations that happens in the life of a Christian believer when we come into contact with this uh, an encounter with God? He changes us on the inside, and one of those things he deals with is our attitudes to money. Is that what you're saying? That is precisely what I'm saying, because if we read one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, it says, the fruit of the Spirit... So the fruit of God's work in your life, the fruit of God's work in my life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And that next word for years, it's been translated goodness. If you look up the Greek word agathosune in a Greek-English lexicon, it's generosity. In other words, the fruit of God's work in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. So it's, it's a fruit showing something different about this person. God's at work in them, causing them to not be a slave to money. Because money was the one thing Jesus talked about most. About half his parables mentioned money. It was a, it was a very common topic, but it was the one thing he set up 
that said you can't serve God and money. So how we handle money shows we are not a slave to money, but we've made it our slave. We are instead a servant or slave of God. Gary, uh, let me ask you to reflect on your nation in the United States for a few moments. And listeners who are here in Australia, we'll have our own perceptions about what Aussies think about generosity, about money, and about all of these things that you're talking about. Goodness, uh, generosity is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Reflect on Americans for a few moments, because I have this tendency to think of American Christians, because of your such rich Christian history, as uh, being a very generous church. Uh, how do you see uh, the U.S. situation and how generous Americans might be as Christian believers? And and we'll be able to make our own assessment of what difference there might be here in Australia. Well, I think any time we start comparing ourselves to other people, uh, we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, what I would rather do is align us to alongside God's word. And what I see in America are four kinds of givers. I see first people that don't give anything. And um, those people are givers who haven't learned that they've been blessed to be a blessing. So they're, the, they're, they're about 25% of the American church shows up and gives nothing uh, to the local church or to charities. The second kind of giver I see in America are people who give what I would describe as sporadically. In other words, they give something sporadically. It's largely maybe the leftovers. The third group I would describe are people who give what would be a percentage. These still, I wouldn't describe these biblically as generous because they tend, and I say tend, to think, oh, 10% is God's part and the other 90% is mine. And then they act as though they're just like the world with their other 90%. And then they actually um, often become like the religious leaders who are these prideful lovers of money, who were prideful for tithing, but then, you know, treated money just like everyone else. But then the other part, the fourth group that I see in America, would be those that exhibit what I would call biblical generosity, which is giving according to your means, with love, giving according to your means with love. So as you're blessed, you're a blessing, and you do this with love, because giving's always throughout the New Testament associated with love. So we've got those four kinds of groups. I would say largely we've got a long way to go, because in our local churches, the conversations about money have been disconnected from discipleship. And so as a result, it's kind of like an afterthought. And so... And I will own the fact, as, as a seminary professor at four seminaries in America, one seminary in South Korea, and a seminary in uh, the Philippines, I will testify to the fact that the failure in the pulpit is a, a result of the fact that we didn't talk about this enough in seminaries. So I'm trying to make a difference in that area. Well, I love your insight that comparing our giving with others is an unhealthy way to look at this because really we are driven, aren't we, back to what a biblical foundation might be. It's not whether Aussies are generous and uh, uh, you know, compared to Americans or Americans compared to Aussies or Koreans or whoever it might be around the world. 
It's how we will align ourselves with a biblical understanding of what generosity means for us because this is what we want to be shaped by. We want to go back to an understanding of what God's Word says. And this is what you're you're leaning towards in all of these different professorships and you're trying to bring these sorts of messages into the hearts and minds of emerging leaders. So take us into some of the biblical foundation and understanding of what it is to be a generous person. Sure. Um, If I were to summarize my seminary course for listeners in three words, the words would be gifts, goods, and gospel. So if I were to summarize the biblical, you know, material, I would say that each steward is entrusted as a steward with spiritual gifts to be used for the common good. Let each one of you use whatever gift God's given you to serve others, administering His grace in its various forms. So each one of us is a steward of gifts, and we'll be, we'll be, uh, we're, we're entrusted with these. We need to give an account for how we used it, so we're given gifts. Second, we're given goods. In other words, um, all that you and I possess belongs to God. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And so everything we have belongs to God. We are these stewards and the masters away on a proverbial or on, you know, parabolically speaking, on a journey, and he'll return, and someday we'll have to give an account for our stewardship. So we've been entrusted with goods, and so how are we putting those to work to care for our families, to to show love for our neighbor, to uh, advance um, the ministry of, of, say, the local church, But then the third thing we have, and this is what's so global about these three words, is the gospel. So you and I, if we have Jesus Christ, we possess the best news, the the, the greatest news the world has ever known. So we actually have the richest treasure that could ever be shared. And so when I've, for instance, trained, um, taught on stewardship among the destitute poor in the garbage dump of Guatemala City, Revival broke out when they realized, even though they had no money, that they had been given gifts by God to put to work, and that they had the gospel, so they had something to share. And so God blesses us with material and spiritual blessings, so we have something to enjoy and share. And so what I would charge listeners to just lean into, to contemplate on, to think about, is what are the gifts God's given me? What are the goods He's entrusted me with? And what am I doing with the best news that the whole world needs that is free, that I can share it with anyone? And so when we start being a steward of our gifts and our goods to make known the gospel, we start realizing why we're here. And actually, we start taking hold of, of the, the reason we're here, which is to, to make known that good news with what we've been entrusted. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Uh, Great insights in a conversation this hour. You can be part of it. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Dr. Gary Hogue is our guest. He's known as the Generosity Monk. Gary, your latest book is called Good and Faithful. And uh, in, ordinarily, in, the, in this sort of opportunity, you'd be saying, hey, go out and buy Good and Faithful. And no doubt people will be able to do that very easily and through their usual ways that they buy great Christian books. But there's something that you have on offer for listeners where they can access some tremendous wisdom from this book uh, right now, even before the end of this hour. That's right. 
You know, when when I um, created a course called Faith and Finances that seminaries across America are using, the first time I piloted it, a group of students came up to me after class and said, Dr. Hogue, you have to create a workbook that has discussion questions, and you have to make those videos available so that our people in our congregations can watch them. So I called my publisher and I said, I want these videos to be able to stream freely for anyone in the world, anywhere to watch, whether or not they buy the book Good and Faithful, which is basically like a discussion guide and a workbook that individuals or small groups can go through. And so if they, if, if listeners visit www.seedbed, S-E-E-D-B-E-D dot com slash good and faithful, seedbed.com slash good and faithful, you can there watch the uh, 10 uh, videos that correspond to the 10 lessons in Good and Faithful, 10 Stewardship Lessons for Everyday Living. So that's my free way of uh, helping uh, nurture uh, your uh, journey of generosity. Well, let's uh, encourage listeners to write down that website uh, because you might want to listen to the rest of our conversation, but sometime today to check in with seedbed.com forward slash good and faithful. And I think you said there's a series of 10 uh, online streaming opportunities to get real insights from your latest book called Good and Faithful. Let me come to this idea of stewardship. Now, I know you've got some uh, some developments on the way we think about stewardship, and sometimes as Christian believers we say, well, uh, we're stewards of what God's given to us, and we've got a learning process that goes on in how to be a steward of these good things, these gifts, these goods, the gospel that God has given to us. What are your thoughts on stewardship? Sure. Well, I like to start with what the Scriptures say. So the first three lessons in that Good and Faithful, they look at stewardship in the Old Testament so that we learn God's design and God's heart for his people. Then it looks at the, uh, the Gospels, and we look at Jesus, and he personally uh, articulates this way of living, giving, serving, and loving. And then we see in, in my third lesson, I look at the financial practices, literally the stewardship of the early church. And so they lived, they were largely dirt poor. So if people are out there thinking, I got two pennies to rub together, or I have more months than I have money, and I don't know how to make it through, that was really the early church too. And how they handled possessions differently from the world around them, but in alignment with God's design, showed they were different. It showed, it resulted in there was no needy person among them. It resulted in the Lord adding to their number daily those that were being saved because people showed at the root they cared more about other people than they cared about possessions. Is it true that you can be a good steward of the possessions and the gifts that you have and still not be generous? Absolutely, because as I defined using a... a, a summary of biblical material. Generosity is when we give according to our means with love. And so someone might have great wealth, and they might be the person who's like the character in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44, where the wealthy person comes and they gave their offering out of their wealth, but that widow comes along and puts in her two pennies. She puts in all she has to live on, and her giving is celebrated by Jesus. 
So what's going on there is she's giving according to her ability, and that person's not. That wealthy person is just pitching in a little bit. So they're not exhibiting generosity. That person is, is demonstrating more um, where their trust is by what they don't give than what they give. And what I love listeners to realize, that is if you look at the biblical material, Jesus cares more about what we don't give. The world looks at what we give. Jesus looks at what we don't give and what that says about our hearts and where our trust is. Gary, for a lot of Christian believers, uh, when they turn up at church on Sunday and either it's the pastor or someone who is on duty coming around the church offering, uh, they'll use that word tithe and talking about a tenth of our income. Uh, this terminology of the tithe, uh, even when you talk about stewardship, because sometimes when we talk about stewardship, we talk about, you know, giving that tithe. Uh, what you're saying is the tithe isn't even generous enough, or it's a part of the generosity, but it's not the whole story. How do you talk about tithe to people? Great question. The tithe is one of the most Galatian-like teachings in the church today. Let me explain in other words, when we look at the word tithe, it's an Old Testament law term. The only time we hear Jesus use it twice is never talking to disciples. Why? That would return them to the law. It's when cursing the religious leaders for thinking themselves self-righteous for tithing down to the mint and the spice. So what do we see in the rest of the New Testament? Never does Jesus use tithe language. Neither do Paul or Peter or the others. And so then we might ask ourselves, well, well, what's going on in the language of giving in the New Testament? We see the language shift from law language, which, which if we return to the law, Galatians tells us we go back to slavery, like if we mash the law and we mash the, the gospel of grace together, it, it like sends us backwards. And so instead, throughout the New Testament, the word we see used, from the earliest letters, like Galatians, all the way through to the later writings um, uh, describing the history of the early church, is the word koinonia. The word koinonia means share. And so the language of giving in the New Testament is always sharing according to our ability. As we're blessed, we're a blessing. Gary, let's move our conversation to something which I think is very, very important. The idea of imagining the potential of a generous church. Because sometimes when we get hung up with money, uh, we think about the way that a church might have a vision being cast. And then sometimes without a vision, there's a sort of a scattergun approach to how people are generous. And there are generous people who are giving the money in all sorts of different areas. But leaders help direct wealth and riches to the growth of the kingdom. What are your thoughts on the potential for what happens when a church gets unified with the way that it gets generous? Well, I mean, I think in short, all heaven can break loose. But I think a good example would be when the early church embraced the gospel and the apostles' teaching, and they, um, it says in Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, that is, um, it's often translated fellowship. It, it's, it means either sharing or vested participation. So when the early church dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to this koinonia, to the breaking of bread and prayer, 
it, it was this beautiful, abundant community that people wanted to be a part of because they were like, wow, these people genuinely care for one another. And so I think we're going to appear as a caring uh, group, and I think we're going to look like a group that um, that notice that cares for four groups of people. Um, if if I'm looking in, say, the book of Galatians, so the early church was trying to figure out what do we do with the law and what do we do with this gospel of grace, we see money in the book of Galatians directed to four groups. First, we see remembering the poor, um, and you could use alliteration to remember them. So the first group resources go to are the poor, the needy. That word means those, those that would be like the destitute. So we show that we care for those people. The second is, is uh, Galatians 6, 6, 6, 6, 6, one who teaches you. So this generous church will be caring for its pastor and the staff who are dedicating their lives to caring for the body. The third group we see is in Galatians 6.10. We see that the caring and sharing generous church cares for uh, their own people as well as those outside. So it's almost like there's programs to care for the needy. But then there's also activities that we would describe as outreach. So a conspicuous thing we don't see much of in the New Testament is spending money on property. And the irony is, I tell a church, if you've got property, put it to work for God. But you don't need property to do ministry. To be a generous church, you're often caring for the poor, the pastor, programs that care for the body and show that you care for one another and then show you care for outsiders as well. Oftentimes we'll be in church and the pastor will be talking about being generous and people giving an offering at church. But oftentimes the pastor is speaking to a resistance in people and and no one likes the idea of begging for money. Uh, but there is a certain sense here, the attitude of the leader towards the way that they actually uh, talk to people about money is a very important aspect here. Critically important, and the language is important. And again, I take you back to the scriptures. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, we see the Apostle Paul say, as I directed all the other churches in Galatia, so also I'm directing you. So in other words, the handling of money is a set of directions that's the same for believers everywhere. And literally in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, in, in instructing them in a church setting to participate in this collection, he literally says, each of you put aside whatever extra you earn so that collections need not be made when I come. In other words, once you've heard about this opportunity, Live simply so you can share the rest. And so the instructions are part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not begging, because the reason it's not begging is you don't own that money. It's God's money. You're just a steward of it. So notice the language in the New Testament is these are directions for disciples. This is what God's people do with God's money. They live simply so they can have margin to share with those in need. Uh, we're often looking for that knockout punch, the silver bullet that says, this is the reason why I would change my whole attitude to money. You did mention, I think, a little earlier in our conversation, uh, Richard Foster, someone you like to quote, uh, with the sure. challenge of the disciplined life, where God's ownership of everything 
changes the kind of question we ask about giving. Now, is there something that you've found over the times when you're talking to people about money, about their uh, the way their attitudes are to it, that actually does make the difference when it comes to understanding this concept of God's ownership of everything? Yeah, when we take take heart that God owns everything, it changes the kind of question we ask in giving from how much of my money do I give to God to how much of God's money do I keep for myself? Well, now the world t- tells you that that paycheck you earned is yours to spend as you please. Deuteronomy 8.18 reminds us it's God who even gave you that ability to produce wealth. So God gave you the ability Everything you he's entrusted to you belongs to him. So I like to think of it um, maybe using this word picture. In America, we have like FedEx or DHL or, you know, we have these shipping trucks that drive around and deliver packages to people. And I like to tell people, I want you to think of all that comes to you as, as packages in your little FedEx truck. And sometimes those packages might have your name on it and be directed to you. But a lot of times they've been handed to you to deliver elsewhere, to either someone in need, to deliver to the church, to support missions. And so you start realizing, once you realize God owns everything and that he's entrusted things to you to enjoy and share, you realize your role is literally to, like, put your FedEx shirt on every day. You get to be this joyful distributor of material and spiritual blessings. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You can join our talkback conversation. Let's take a call from Wendy in Queensland. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along. Yes, hello. Wendy, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Well, um, I actually think that the Lord is continually um, challenging or trying to convict us or talk to us about giving even of the little that we have, even of the nothingness that we have at times. And our natural inclination is to store up, to keep, to have the best piece of cake, to have the first seat, to have the best. You know, that's a natural human kind of a tendency that God's telling us to treat others better than ourselves, called us to serve just like he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he took girded himself with that cloth and bowed down and knelt down and washed his Wendy, wonderful thoughts in there. Let's get a response from Gary, this idea that this human nature that we have fights against generosity by wanting to store up these things, uh, but then there's this uh, constant... Uh, whispering into our hearts from God as to how we ought to be generous. Uh, your thoughts for Wendy, Gary? Wendy, thanks for sharing. And I agree with you completely. The world throws these different messages at us and our own sin nature. Um, one of the first words a child whispers is, well, they don't whisper it. They, they say it pretty loudly, mine. They grasp for themselves. So this idea of selfishness, of just thinking of our own needs is something that's part of our flesh. And so going back to one of my first statements, so I'm, I'm thrilled you're listening, Wendy, and I hope this has encouraged you in your journey. One of the first things I said was how we handle money is one of our greatest ways of showing our faith. You know, it shows that the fruit of the Spirit is at work in us, that God's at work in us, because we're putting others ahead of ourselves. And so 
it's a, it's a constant test. And I think that's what you were getting at, Wendy, that, that we're, we're constantly blessed in different ways. And we might think, wow, I don't have much. So, so I, I can't necessarily give, but, but that's why I think Jesus celebrated that widow who put in her two pennies to show that even when we don't have much, and we are willing to sacrifice it that God sees and God celebrates. Wendy from Queensland, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from David in Albany in Western Australia. Hello, David. Welcome along. Well, thank you. David, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I live in a car and I choose to live in my car um, because the money I save, I put it to the Lord's kingdom, you know. Wow. Um, I print my own gospel tracts. I, I do a comfort ministry, um, and I've got a poem I wrote about, um, which the Lord gave me, about heaven, you know, and I, I use that to, to reach others. Um, so I channel my money. The money I save, I channel it into God's kingdom. And the, the thoughts that were going through my mind was, you know, we don't, people don't have to buy a, a $40,000 car. They could buy a $5,000 car, and then the money they saved, they could channel it into the persecuted church or or into the Lord's work, you know? David, those thoughts are amazing. A response from Gary Hogue for David. David, first of all, I want to just affirm uh, how, how um, humbled I am by hearing your example. Uh, Jesus, the Son of Man, did not have a place to lay his head and you following in his footsteps have said, I can sacrifice in a number of areas so that I can deploy more for the kingdom. I would testify to you similarly. My family lives in a humble townhouse. We could live maybe in a large house, but we've decided instead to store up our treasures in heaven. And like you, um, you mentioned the persecuted church. We've traveled a bit and done missions work in some destitute poor places and even our children, with our children watching our willingness to sacrifice, they've joined us in supporting these people around the world whose situations are far more worse off than ours. And so it does inspire us to live as simply as possible so we can be this generous conduit. So I rejoice in your testimony, and I pray that by your example, as well as your words, people will see the love of Jesus. David from Albany in WA, we are all moved by your circumstances and thank you so much for your faithfulness. Uh, My prayer is uh, that God will continue to bless you in the ways that enable you to live simply and continue your lifestyle of generosity. David from Albany in WA, thanks for your call. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah, hello. Jonathan, your thoughts? Yes, you know that as a Christian, I consider it as a reservoir where they get the water from. You are not the owner of where the water is. It's supply. Is. So I look as a Christian gift. When God gave us everything, we need to pass it on to be a help to those who I need. This is what I give. I don't think that is for me. God gave it to me that I will turn around and give it to others. Amazing insight. Uh, a reservoir. God has given to us the water, the water to pass on. Your thoughts for Jonathan, uh, Gary? Yeah, Jonathan, it reminds me of a famous quote by um, the Reverend uh, Billy Graham, who uh, just went to be with the Lord. 
he said that we were not cisterns made for hoarding, but channels made for giving. I live in the state of Colorado where we don't get enough rain at times. And so reservoirs are important so that when God does supply, the water fills those reservoirs and can be channeled to the people where they need it. In the same way, Jonathan, thanks for reminding all of us as listeners. And I'm, again, moved by your example, good word picture, that God blesses us sometimes. And the the reason I liked your use of the word reservoir is it connotates seasons. There is um, the ant that is described um, in the book of Proverbs who works for the colony, not for himself, but for the colony during the season when food is available so that they'll make it through the difficult seasons. So just like a reservoir in the rainy season, the ants working in the harvest season, so as to look out not just for himself, but for others. Beautiful word picture, Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open for now on 1-800-316-316. Gary, I want to take you, though, beyond just the thoughts of being a steward and being generous with money. Because, as I understand it, in your own world, you've got an orderly type of a life where you spend a quarter of your time serving pastors, a quarter of your time in teaching roles, a quarter of your time in writing and speaking, and the other quarter in solitude and sanctuary. Describe the way you might think of being generous and a steward with more than just your money. Well, um, part of the reason it's quite important for us to have, for example, that solitude and sanctuary in our lives is we're demonstrating to the rest of the world that we can be generous because we position ourselves like a cup for God to fill us. So in other words, if we're just spinning our wheels and and we're not taking time to allow ourselves to be filled, it's kind of like we're walking around with an empty cup and we have little to give others. And so I encourage people that part of being generous is also... Um, digging into the spiritual blessings that we find in the Word of God. And this was taught to me at a young age. When I would wake up as a child, I would see the Bible on the dining room table. And that Bible reminded me that my dad, before anyone else was awake, got up and he read a chapter from the Word. And then sometime after that, my mother got up. And then I thought they both got up in the middle of the night because, you know, kids, we didn't get up as early as mom and dad. But I knew that that Bible was sitting there because they mined it. They found treasures in it that they could share with others. And so I encourage people beyond their money to mine the Word of God because therein are the riches of the kingdom of heaven. We've got time for one more call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome along. Uh, good morning. Yes, uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, basically from verse 4 to 7, because... Um, there are steps there of, of brotherly love, which is the ultimate end of what's written there, um, and kindness. Uh, there are the steps that are, uh, how we can be careful. Sometimes we are offended when we hear that money to some charity has gone gone astray, and that. So these steps are very very useful in in being careful. 
Uh, Alex, good thoughts in that because sometimes we do. We make a gift to a charity and then there'll be some news headline that says the money's been misspent or there's been some uh, misappropriation of funds, even corruption uh, sometimes in those that we give to. Your thoughts for Alex Gary? Sure. And Alex, I want to respond out of my own commitment and experience because a lot of my speaking and teaching around the world is linked to championing the faithful administration of God's work. In other words, handling the money that's been given properly, because when a collection is mishandled by one church and it makes the news headlines, that that sin is affixed in the minds of people to wondering if all churches misappropriate funds like that. So it was my privilege to work closely with what's called the CMA Standards Council, CMA dot net dot au is where you can find it where organizations can demonstrate that they're faithfully administrating so they follow not only the acnc um uh, criteria for uh, registered charities but they do what's right before god and man in other words um, abide by a higher set of standards because what we do doesn't just have it doesn't have our name on it it has god's name on it So if we mismanage funds, it's his reputation dragged through the mud. So it's my privilege to have helped set up organizations like the CMA Standards Council in Australia, working with national leaders in Australia to champion the faithful administration of God's work. So cmasc.net.au, brother, is a website I would look at to show that God's raising up people in Australia as well as in places like the Philippines, Kenya, South Korea and Guatemala, as well as the United States, to champion the faithful administration of God's work. And when we administrate it faithfully, it gives God's people confidence to give generously. Thank you to Alex in Melbourne. And time running short, and I don't want to miss the opportunity to revisit uh, what you mentioned a little earlier. Your most recent book, Gary, is called Good and Faithful. And uh, you're saying some significant things to Christians and to church leaders in your book, but there is an opportunity for listeners to participate in some streamed conversations, some streamed segments uh, that are based on your book when people go to seedbed.com forward slash good and faithful. When people go to that website, what are they likely to see and how easy is it to download some really great uh, inspirational biblical wisdom about our finances about generosity sure just quickly if you go to that website you will find 10 videos that stream freely the first three will give you god's word on financial management you'll look at what the bible teaches in the old testament the gospels and the early church the lessons four five and six will give you the three core practices for stewards that is earning an income from work saving a portion of income, and storing up treasures in heaven. And when we do those basics faithfully, as Wesley said, gain all we can, save all we can, give all we can, when we do those faithfully, God often supplies more. So videos 7, 8, and 9 correspond to the more complex skills we need to grow in, budgeting, addressing, borrowing, as well as seeking counsel on more complex issues. And the final video, Lesson 10, that streams freely, is abundant living and fruitful service. I give tips on applying biblical teaching in marriages and families. Uh, let me give that website so you can access that today, 
seedbed.com forward slash good and faithful. And based on Gary's latest book called Good and Faithful, and no doubt there are many books that you've written, and I'll encourage people, if you simply can't remember websites, uh, Google Gary Hogue or The Generosity Monk. Uh, Gary's nickname and has grown into that and uh, is operating in uh, something I think uh, quite prophetically there when you talk about the way you've zeroed in on just how powerful it is to encourage generosity. I'll also just finish on this uh, idea that Gary Hogue is coming to Australia and the CMA conference is coming up on the 5th and 6th of June at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre. The sorts of people going to it, business leaders, uh, not-for-profit leaders, uh, people who are uh, interested in finance and in generosity will be there at the CMA conference. There is a website, cma.net.au. It's on the 5th and 6th of June. It's the CMA conference at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre. Gary Hogue, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to uh, generously share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you. The privilege was mine. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.